This is Chris Carolla. Today I'm going to tell you about Jack Wilpers, a bookie son from Saratoga Springs, New York, who did something that made international headlines at the end of World War II and changed history. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We're joined by Chris Carolla to talk about an incident from World War II. Chris Carolla spent 37 years in daily journalism, three years at the Saratogian newspaper, 34 years with the Associated Press, including 31 years as a reporter at the AP Bureau in Albany. A Mechanicville native who lives in Saratoga Springs, Carolla is co-author of George S. Bolster's Saratoga Springs, a collection of old Saratoga photographs and the stories behind them. Carolla wrote hundreds of history-related stories for the AP, most of them sent out on AP and published and are posted by media outlets worldwide. Carolla has written several news stories about Jack Wilpers, an American soldier from Saratoga Springs, who helped capture Japanese general and former prime minister Hideki Tojo at the end of World War II in 1945. Since April 2017, Carolla has been doing PowerPoint presentations on Jack Wilpers and the Tojo incident using exclusive access to Wilpers' wartime letters and photos, as well as contemporary news accounts and his own reporting and research. Carolla plans to write a book about Jack Wilpers and the key role that Wilpers played in Tojo's capture. When was uh, Jack Wilpers Jr. born and, and where was he born? Uh, he was actually born in Albany on um, November 11th, 1919. That would have been the first anniversary of the end of World War I, um, known as our Mrs. Day, uh, as we observe now as Veterans Day. He was born to Jack Sr. and his mother, Nellie, and he had an older sister, Peggy. And they moved up to Saratoga Springs because... His father was a bookie? Yeah, uh, Jack Sr., uh, once Prohibition kicked in in 1920, he went to work at some speakeasies and actually ran a few and actually got busted a few times um, by the feds. And um, he was also a bookmaker, a bookie. And while the family still lived in Albany, he would make the trip up to Saratoga when the track was open to, uh, to uh, the book bets. And then he decided in the late 20s he wanted to be closer to the track when it opened. So the family initially moved to Wilton. And they lived right next door to what is uh, the uh, McGregor Links uh, golf course. And they lived there for a few years. And um, 1934, the house burned down uh, because of a furnace malfunction. So the family moved into Saratoga Springs, uh, lived in a succession of apartments, and um, including a couple right on Broadway. Hmm. And I've written some of the material you, you sent me that it could be that uh, Jack Wilpers Jr. Uh, learned a lot of his street smarts by work, kind of working with his father, meeting his father's uh, clients, if you will? Yeah, he would accompany his dad to the racetrack. Um, when, when Jack Jr. Was a, was a kid, he had a, actually had a pony. So he learned to love horses, <laughs> ride horses, take care of horses. And then, of course, he's around the racetrack. So he got to know racing. And he got to love uh, thoroughbred racing, something that would stay with him for the rest of his life. Um, with the family living on Broadway at that time in the 1930s, um, two of the biggest hotels in America, the United States Hotel and the Grand Union, were in operation right there on Broadway. And Broadway during the track season, uh, it was a Damon Runyon uh, 
it was David Runyon's other Broadway, the original being down in, in Manhattan. But all those characters that uh, Damon Runyon wrote about would have migrated north during the track season. All the gamblers and grifters and con men and pickpockets and prostitutes were all up and down Broadway. And Broadway would essentially have been Jack Jr.'s front front yard. World War II comes, and he enters the Army uh, Air Corps in 1942. Uh, what does he do? Well, he's initially in the Air, uh, in the Air Corps, and he's assigned to a couple of airfields, uh, one out in, in Illinois uh, for training, and then he's sent to an air base in the Texas Panhandle. And at some point, he uh, applied for officer candidate school. He's got a college education, and uh, he wants to be an officer. So he goes to OCS in, uh, at an Army base in North Carolina and passes that training, and he's commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. Uh, by 1944, and he is initially uh, reassigned to a coastal artillery battalion, uh, and he's sent to Cape Cod, and this is at a time when there would have been uh, observation posts and gun emplacements pretty much all up and down the Atlantic coast because Nazi U-boats were sinking Allied shipping um, literally within sight of the mm-hmm. shore. So Jack uh, Jr. was stationed there uh, for, uh, for a while in 1944, and then his unit uh, was going to be sent to the Pacific Theater. So they took a troop train to California and got on a uh, converted ocean liner, the SS Lurline. And Jack's unit was sent to um, New Guinea in the Southwest Pacific. Do you know what he did there? Yeah, once he got to New Guinea, that campaign, uh, MacArthur's uh, army had started that campaign later in 1942. That was a start uh, that was just after the Marines landed at Guadalcanal, a few months after that. So the island hopping campaign has now begun. And MacArthur uh, had landed, uh, his forces had landed in New Guinea later in 1942. So by the time Jack Wilpers got there in the summer of 1944, that campaign kind of was, I want to say it's over because it lasted right to the end of the war, but the American involvement was, was winding down. So what the, uh, the Army needed at that time was men uh, for the, what was known as the Counterintelligence Corps. That was uh, an Army uh, branch that uh, dealt with counterintelligence. And with Jack Wilpers having a college education, he was reassigned to the 308th CIC Detachment while he was at New Guinea. Hmm. What Now, I've heard that phrase, but what does that mean, counterintelligence, as opposed to just intelligence? Their, their, their job, the CIC guy's job, was to, one, prevent sabotage, or if it happened, investigate it, whether it was stateside or, or overseas. They were uh, to gather any information they could on the Japanese uh, through uh, questioning locals, um, and also their job was to track down collaborators, anybody that was collaborating with the Japanese. And another uh, of their tasks was to uh, uh, confiscate any Japanese documents, have them translated if they happen to catch any Japanese soldiers to interrogate them. Um, and also the, the, another job the CIC guys had was tracking down members of the Kempe Tai. That was a Japanese army secret police. Uh, that mm. was Japan's version of the Gestapo. And in a lot of ways, the Kempe Tai was even more brutal and vicious. Mm. Did he learn to speak or read Japanese? Uh, I don't think so, but what he did learn to speak and quite well was the Filipino language, and the CIC had set up a um, a, a training school. Uh, once all these troops were getting over there, and they needed more CIC guys, they realized, well, they need they need specialized training. 
So the CIC set up a training school in northern Australia, and Jack got sent over there from New Guinea for a while. And it just so happens while he was in Australia, doesn't he happen to make a trip to a, a racetrack and got a few bucks <laughs> on the horse? <laughs> So, um, he, yeah, he and he did learn the, the Filipino language mm-hmm. because the Americans uh, were getting uh, ready to invade the Philippines. Well, I think maybe I better get him over to J- Japan so we can advance your story. Uh, he eventually uh, gets to Japan when the war is ending, when uh, General Douglas MacArthur accepts the surrender. Uh, and then MacArthur orders... Jack Wilpers and a handful of other soldiers uh, to find General Tojo. Is, is, uh, can you just explain the lead up to that? Sure. And I, I just want to just backtrack a, a little bit because it's kind of important. Jack Wilpers spent nine months in the Philippines. That campaign was started in October uh, 1944 when MacArthur famously landed and said, I had returned. And uh, he was on a lot of the Philippine islands doing what I just mentioned earlier, tracking down collaborators and Kempe Thai uh, agents. Um, it wasn't frontline duty typically, but he would have been in some dicey places. Um, and he's still in the Philippines when the atomic bombs had dropped in early uh, August uh, 1945 on Japan. Mm-hmm. And in mid-August, the emperor of Japan goes on the radio and says, we're surrendering. So now the occupation of Japan by the Allied troops is about to start. And Jack Wilpers gets sent north from the Philippines uh, to Okinawa. That's a staging area for the occupation, the American occupation forces going into Japan. And on August 28, 1945, the first lead elements of the American occupation forces land at an airport outside of uh, Tokyo. The next day, Jack Wilpers arrives with an airborne division. And the day after that, MacArthur arrives in in Japan. So Jack Wilbur's beat MacArthur to Japan by a day. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and um, so uh, the the surrender ceremony is held September 2nd, uh, 1945, on the USS Missouri, anchored in Tokyo Bay. Jack Wilbur's is not there. He's not on that ship. However, on that day, September 2nd, he wrote a letter home to his mom, and it started with, Dear Mom, this is better than a three-ring circus. And what he did was he went on to describe the scene at a Yokohama hotel lobby that was being the hotel was being used by his MacArthur's uh, headquarters, and Jack Wilpers was standing there. And he, in his letter, he proceeded to list the, the prominent military members walking by, you know, MacArthur and Admiral Nimitz and Admiral Halsey, and all these other uh, prominent people who would have been you know household names to Americans mm. back home. And he said he was just trying to stay out of the way because he was just, uh, in his words, a lowly lieutenant. So yeah. um, that, that he wrote that the day before the, uh, the he wrote it the, the day of the uh, surrender, but the, what he observed was the day before. The, uh, the war is over. It's formally over. Japan has surrendered. Uh, the CIC guys are getting busy tracking down Tokyo Rose. Uh, there are more than one. You know, the Tokyo Rose was women who, who broadcast uh, mm-hmm. propaganda, uh, radio shows and such to the American GIs. And um, at some point on September 10th, uh, things played out that really influenced what I'm going to tell you about now, because on September 10th, 1945, two reporters from the Associated Press, two war correspondents, found out where Tojo lived. And they went and went to his house and got exclusive interviews with Tojo. Tojo was the prime minister of Japan uh from October 1941 to July 1944. 
after Tojo became uh, prime minister, uh, the Japanese admirals came to him and said, hey, we have a plan for attacking Pearl Harbor, and we need your approval. So Tojo pretty much signed off on it. He didn't plan it, though he got blamed for it uh, by the Americans during the war. He, he actually just said, okay, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he resigned in July 1944 uh, after the Americans took the uh, Marianas Islands, including Saipan. So Tojo mm-hmm. was basically retired and just hanging out in a suburban um, Tokyo home when these two AP reporters showed up. And their story went out on the AP wire on September 10th. And Japan is about 12 hours ahead of us here on the East Coast. So on September 10th, back when they had afternoon papers, this AP story on Tojo was was hitting the streets. And people would have been reading this. And I just kind of imagine people back then probably were thinking, why is Tojo walking around free? Why isn't he in jail? Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, Hitler had killed himself back in April and Mussolini had been captured by Italian partisans and, and executed back in April 1945. So Tojo was the last of the sort of big three Axis leaders who could still potentially face a war crimes trial. Um, what happened on the night of September 10th in Tokyo was MacArthur called in his head CIC general and said, go capture Tojo. And that general turned around and said to his subordinate, go to capture Tojo. And that guy right. turned around to Jack Wilpers and said, Jack Wilpers, unit, go arrest Tojo. That didn't right. happen until but, the next day, September 11th. Yeah, September 11th is when they did, in fact, capture Tojo. Uh, he uh, Wilpers was a lieutenant, but I gather there was a major who probably outrank, uh, outranked him, right? I mean, he was the head of that group that went. Correct. Um, when uh, on the 11th, what happened was uh, MacArthur's headquarters put out a press release saying General MacArthur has ordered the arrest of 40 Japanese military and uh, civilian leaders uh, accused of war crimes. And uh, he put out that press release before anybody was in custody. So uh, when the CIC guys went to try to find Tojo, they realized they didn't know where his house was. So they, they got a hold of one of those AP reporters and that guy showed them how to get to Tojo's house. <laughs> And when the CIC detachment uh, arrived, there was maybe five or six guys in, in Jack Wilper's detachment, and it was led, yes, by a major. When they got there, there were members of the press already outside Tojo's house. Uh, AP reporters, U- United Press, New York Times, um, a couple photographers, including an AP photographer, and a photographer from something called Yank Magazine. Yank Magazine was a weekly army publication that came out during the war, and that photographer for Yank Magazine was a guy named George Burns, and he was from Albany. He was mm-hmm. a sergeant in the Army, and he had been a photographer for the Times Union before the war. And uh, he was now a photographer for Yank Magazine, and he's snapping pictures of Tojo as he's standing in his window, refusing to come outside. Give us the chronology here. What, what happens uh, to the uh, soldiers who've come to arrest him and Tojo? When Jack Wilper's detachment shows up around uh, 4 p.m. on September 11th, uh, the major knocks on the door and identifies himself, says why he's there. He's there to take uh, Tojo into custody by orders of General MacArthur. And there's some back and forth uh, with an interpreter through this locked front door, um, and Tojo's not coming out. So now this major's getting in real impatient, and all the reporters and photographers are sort of hanging out, and um, you know they're waiting for Tojo to come out. And then they hear a gunshot, a muffled gunshot from inside the house. The major and Jack Wilpers rush to the front door. They bust that down. Now they're in the hallway. And to the left is another door. And Jack Wilpers just rears back and kicks out the door panels. 
and shoves open the door, and now they're in what would be was basically Tojo's den. And standing there is Tojo with a smoking gun in his hand. And the major shouted, don't shoot, and Tojo dropped the gun and collapsed into a chair. What Tojo had done is he had shot himself in the chest, but he had missed his heart. And um, so he collapsed in a chair, and he started bleeding profusely. And uh, meanwhile, chaos is breaking out in that room. All those uh, newsmen and photographers and also the CIC guys are piling into this 10-by-10 room. And George Burns of Yank Magazine snaps a picture of Jack Wilpers standing over Tojo. Jack Wilpers has got his sidearm trained on Tojo while picking up Tojo's gun that he just fired. And in that photo, you can see uh, Tojo was wearing a white shirt, and you can blood is already starting to spread uh, on his chest. Mm. So that's really the iconic picture of this incident. Correct. Yeah, that picture w- later got distributed through the wire services all around the world, and it, it sort of became an, a, just an iconic photo of the fall of the uh, Empire of Japan. Uh, it was nine days after the surrender, but there was still, the American occupation was still in its infancy. There just weren't that many troops on the ground yet. And um, that, that picture um, kind of made Jack uh, Wilpers famous for a while, something he did yeah. actually not like. No. Uh, and let me just ask you, who was the major? What was his name? His major, uh, major was Paul Krauss, um, and he would have been the head of that detail. But in uh, what I found out from my research and some of the military records and from the contemporary newspaper accounts, Jack Wilpers was pretty much in charge of the scene. Uh, he, he had to secure the scene. He had to secure any documents laying around. Mm-hmm. Um, he you know, taped off the room and such. And he, right. he appeared in a lot of the reports, and he got a lot of the credit uh, for securing the scene. And uh, what, the, what, the, what the reporters and photographers were doing, they were grabbing stuff. They were grabbing souvenirs uh, from Tojo's room, some of his, you know, his pens and his documents. Right. And uh, right. the CIC right. guys had to put a stop to that. Now, how did Wilpers keep Tojo alive? Wilpers found out through a, a Japanese person, uh, one, of, one of Tojo's house attendants, that Tojo's doctor lived nearby. So uh, Wilper said, all right, somebody get the doctor here now. And the doctor showed up and he looked at Tojo and said, I'm not going to treat this man because he wants to die and he's going to do so soon. And that didn't sit well with Jack Wilpers, who still had his sidearm out and basically told the doctor through the interpreter, you you treat him, you do what you can do and you do it now. And the doctor did with what little medical supplies he had and patched up Tojo uh, and said, that's the best I can do. He'll probably die soon. Uh, well, Tojo is lingering. He's not dying, and all these newsmen are hovering around him waiting for him to die. And there was one phone in the house down the hall, and they were taking turns calling in the news to their news desk. And the people on the other end of the line would say, well, is he dead? And these newsmen would shout, no, he's not dead yet. And they'd go back into the room and look and then call in more details. So after about an hour of that, uh, an American Army medical team uh, arrived on the scene. And uh, a doctor from Ohio uh, treated uh, Tojo, gave him some morphine, uh, applied uh, appropriate bandages to him, sutured up his, uh, his wounds, and got some plasma into him. And that stabled up, uh, stabilized Tojo enough where he could be uh, put in an Army ambulance and taken to an Army hospital. And he lived, put on trial, and then he was executed. Correct, yeah. Tojo recovered. He recovered, and within a couple of months, he was in a, a prison where the, uh, the Allies were uh, holding uh, Japanese uh, accused of war crimes. Uh, 1946, uh, Tojo went on trial. 
and that trial lasted more than two years. And um, but in the in the in 1948, Tojo was found guilty of war crimes and sentenced to death. And he was uh, he was executed by hanging uh, two days before Christmas, 1948, uh, a week shy of his 64th birthday. Okay, we're down to about eight minutes left. I need to advance the story to your involvement or how the story became public. After the war, it, uh, I'll say it, and you can expand if you want, uh, Wilpers went to work for the CIA, so he's not telling anybody. about. I mean, obviously his this, his picture has gone all over the world, but he hasn't talked about the incident and doesn't until 2010. What caused him to break his silence? Eight years before two, uh, 2010, uh, Jack Wilpers had contacted the Pentagon saying, hey, I was supposed to get some medals for my World War II service and for can you check on that? And the Army got back to him and they said, uh, yeah, but here's the medal, Army Commendation Medal. Jack Wilkers was put in for a Bronze Star, which is one of the highest medals you can get. And uh, his son eventually, through his work, through his investigative work, and he was a journalist also, got the Pentagon to, to award his dad the Bronze Star. And they had a special ceremony in Washington for him in 2010. And it was in the Washington Post. And Jack Wilpers, for the first time in 65 years, kind of spoke about it. But the story didn't say he was a New Yorker. And it didn't really go into any, a lot of the details on what Jack did that day. And didn't mention any of the craziness inside Tojo's house. So when I saw that picture, that, that story later in 2010, I'd been trying for 20 years to get Jack Wilpers to talk to me about Catherine Tojo. So when I saw that Washington Post story, I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try this guy one more time. Uh, and then I went off on vacation in Massachusetts where I was sitting on a beach one day wearing a Saratoga racetrack hat, you know, one of the giveaway hats. And a guy walks by. He's got the same hat on. So I strike up a conversation, ask him about Saratoga and his connection. And it comes out that this guy is Jack Wilper's oldest son, who's also <laughs> vacationing in the same town. And I said, I'm the guy from AP who's been after your dad for an interview for 20 years. Please let him know I'm going to give him a call this week because he got his medals. And Well, sure enough, a couple of days later, I called Jack Wilpers, and he didn't hang up on me, and he didn't tell me no. He started talking to me about capturing Tojo. And over the course of two days, over about a span of an hour and a half, he, he gave me, I think, the most details on that incident to a reporter since that day in 1945. And uh, my story for the AP went out on AP's national and international wires a couple days later in time for the 65th anniversary of Tojo's capture. Uh, Jack Wilpers died in 2013? Uh, correct. In the winter of, of 2013, uh, his health had started to fail. And um, I remained in contact with his son, the one that I'd uh, met on the beach uh, that day in 2010, and the son contacted me. Uh, his name is John, John J. Wilpers III. John let me know that his father had passed, so I wrote an obituary for the AP uh, wires, and that went out nationally and internationally. So for second time in three years, I was able to tell Jack Wilpers' story to an international audience after he went pretty much over half a century without uttering a word about that to, uh, to any journalist anywhere. And he's never disclosed, or Jack Wilpers, uh, the man who uh, captured Tojo, is um, he never said what he did at the CIA. No, he he, he didn't. Um, but his family knew. Um, he worked at the headquarters in Langley, outside of Washington. He worked in several different, couple different departments, uh, more like an analyst uh, and such. 
But when he joined the he joined the CIA in 1947. That's the year CIA was created. Jack Wolpers was one of the first probably 150 employees of the CIA. Hmm. And so after the war, he you're right. He moved to I think it was Maryland, and he mar- married and had five. They had five children, and and he lived down there. He didn't come back to Saratoga. No, he after the war he uh, he got out of the army in 1946. He, he came home from Japan. He was uh, came home a captain, and um, he resettled down in the Washington D.C. area. But every year, uh, most years, he would come north and uh, visit his family that was still in Saratoga. And you know, he'd always come in August because he wanted to go to the racetrack. And that was a family that became a family tradition, uh, coming to Saratoga and going to the races and such. And and that I mentioned earlier, you know, Saratoga was Jack's hometown. Uh, even though he lived 60 plus years outside of Washington, D.C., Saratoga uh, remained his hometown. One of the, the stories done about Jack Wilpers was done by the uh, Channel 13 uh, journalist, Mark Mulholland, who uh, covers Saratoga Springs. And I gathered from that, or th- there's something about they're going to put a plaque up to Jack Wilpers. Have they done that? Has anything happened no, on that front? Still- that's still in the works. The Wilpers children are putting together a uh, kind of like a memorial plaque uh, in honor of their father. And since he lived on Broadway, um, they've gotten permission from the owner of Druthers Brewery to place the plaque on their property because Jack's sister, Peg, was a well-known businesswoman in downtown Saratoga Springs. She had a women's clothing store right on Broadway, right next to the Adelphi Hotel from the 1940s into the 1960s. And she owned that building, which uh, that building is was later where they built Druthers Brewery. Um, so the plaque, the memorial is to Jack is going to mention, you know, the, there'll be that famous picture of him capturing Tojo, plus a couple other photos. And uh, the information will just mention that he was grew up in, in Saratoga and grew up on basically on Broadway and, you know, served in World War Two and did something very famous at the end of the war. Wow. Uh, we have about two minutes left. Is there something else you'd like to say about this story? On the day that Tojo tried to kill himself, there were only about a half a dozen American GIs in Tojo's house in the minutes afterward. Now, there were 16 million Americans who served in uniform in World War II. A few million of them wound up in the Pacific Theater, and there was just a handful of GIs in Tojo's house. Three of them were from New York. One of the CIC agents was from New York City, and there was George Burns, the photographer of Yank Magazine. And the third one was a 25-year-old first lieutenant from Saratoga Springs, Jack Wilpers. Mm. And Jack Wilpers was credited by his superiors with keeping Tojo alive and doing, through his own initiative and bravery, he kept Tojo alive. And that was real important to the American people back home. Somebody had to atone for the all the death and destruction in the Pacific theater and Tojo was the guy mm. and Wilpers was 25 when this took place right correct he was 25 years old yep and that was quite a scene uh I mean uh that, I guess that's what it uh, kind of a, I don't know if it astounded me but that it's very interesting these reporters it's like something out of a movie or the somebody compared it to a movie. And I hate to say it like a Marx brothers movie or something like that. Correct. Uh, one of the, one of the reporters there was a guy named Cornelius Ryan, who was right. uh, Irish and worked uh, for one of the London papers during the war. 
And he wrote afterwards that that scene inside that Tojo's house was a combination of a, of a Marx Brothers movie and an Irish wake. <laughs> uh, the only problem was with an Irish wake, there's a corpse. Well, there was no corpse in this instance because Tojo wouldn't die. Um, mm. But yeah, that scene was extraordinary. It was like no other scene um, played out in, in Tojo's house, um, right. right in front of all, all the, some of the biggest news outlets of the world. Our guest has been Chris Carolla, a veteran Associated Press news reporter who's researching and writing a book about Jack Wilpers, who grew up in Saratoga Springs, and the key role that Wilpers played in the capture of former Japanese Prime Minister Hideki Tojo, days after the Japanese surrendered to end World War II. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudworth.